Hey everyone, this is Deacon Jim coming back to the Forefront Conversations after a long hiatus. For this first episode back, we are not looking outside of the church for an interview, but inside the church. This interview is with a congregant of Forefront, Sean Thomas, specifically his activism in 13th Forward, a legislative coalition of advocates and grassroots of organizations who are basically attempting to change what they describe as legal slavery in the state of New York. This group is called 13th Forward because of the 13th Amendment, which on the surface ended chattel slavery, but with one insidious exception, as a punishment for a crime. This loophole has allowed New York to build a prison system so dependent on human exploitation and degradation that it is akin to modern day slavery. And this is important to Sean because he himself was incarcerated in the past and paid pennies on the dollar to do work that often included dangerous and hazardous material with minimum safety tools and equipment and oftentimes over 40 hours a week just to meet quotas. Sean's story is one that unfortunately so many people in this country can relate to and embodies not just the horrors of what is modern day slavery and how it still exists, but also emphasizes the hypocrisy in calling a prison a correctional facility when there is no correction, there is no redemption, and there still is a stigma attached to people with a criminal past, even in Christian circles, which at the core of our belief is supposed to be redemption, forgiveness, and a change of our identity. Sean, thank you so much for um, having this conversation with me this evening. Um, traveling from the the far off land of Long Island to make this uh, happen. I, I very much appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that many people who are listening to this already know who you are, especially if they're forefronters. But I want to kind of step back before we get into the topic that we're going to talk about. And I just want to kind of talk about you first and just kind of this may be a loaded question, but just if you could give us a, a little bit of a story of just like your faith journey, what it has looked like for you and kind of how that ultimately ended up with you at Forefront doing the kind of work that you're doing now. Yeah, um, well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, and that is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> to The sum of it is I grew up, I'm from South Texas, from Houston. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the Southern Baptist background um, oh. church four times a week um, and certain Sunday service four hours a day. Wow. Um, and it was very performative, very judgmental, very archaic, um, a lot of glitz and glam. Um, and for the longest, that's all I knew. So it wasn't problematic for me. Mm. Um, I had a bit of a different story than a lot of the people that grew up in the church um, as the, that are in our community, the, community, the LGBTQIA plus community, because my parents were a little bit a, very influential in our church. Mm -hmm. So nobody really had the, the guts to say, wait a minute, is your son Sean Gay? Uh, <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of conversation or um, a lot of um, disdain or anything for me growing up. I was able to kind of be myself authentically. Mm -hmm. um, without like any rep, um, repercussions or anything. Um, but that doesn't exclude any of the toxicity that I basically um, had to be a part that I kind of endured or the nonsense or the traumas that I experienced growing up in the church with like the, um, the topic being raised of homosexuality and everything, but it wasn't specifically to me. It was just to the general audiences or the congregation, which like, you know who you are. 
And so moving forward, graduating high school and leaving Texas and going to college, I did. I went to UConn for my undergrad, mm-hmm. um, which is a loose connection to Venita, our pastor Venita. <laughs> um, when I was there, she was the um, head of the Women's Center. Oh, wow. And um, then moving on to my grad here in, in, um, at NYU in New York. Um, I didn't really participate in many um, church activities outside of when I went home for the holidays. And there's a rule in my house where my mom was like, if you were under our roof Saturday night, you're going to church Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So um, outside of me re- revisiting our my church growing up, um, it really wasn't happening here in the city, especially as I was kind of learning who I was and exploring myself and kind of maturing and it took the pandemic really for me to kind of take a step back and realize, wait a minute, um, I do want to connect back because I don't really think I love the Lord any less. Mm-hmm. It's just I haven't found places that res- that um, I feel comfortable or safe. Um, and I did what I over the almost what year and a half over the year and a half that I've been going to forefront in person has done. Um, I googled gate affirming churches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, Forefront popped up. I don't remember what, which, like, where it was in the queue, but it definitely popped up on the first page. And um, that was my sign to just start really looking for places. And I went to a few, and Forefront was, like, the fourth place that I actually tried out, actually. And um, I showed up one Sunday morning, and um, I walked by what I know now, <laughs> as the roulette. Yeah. And um Todd, um Pastor Vanetta's husband was standing outside and I guess he was greeting. And I had walked past him because I was confused of where it was. And when I came back, he was like, Are you looking for Forefront Church? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> and that was my introduction into Forefront. And I've been <laughs> I've been um entrenched fully entrenched since then, since mm-hmm. October 2021. Yep. Um and that's how I came to be a, a forefronter. It may not have been number one on the Google uh, search, but it's number one in our in our hearts now. I think is yes, what it we is. Can say. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, did you have um, did you have that experience when you first left home and left college? Did you kind of have that experience? Like uh, it sounds somewhat similar to I had, where like I, I went, I even went to a, a private Christian college. But since it was the first time on my own, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do what I'm gonna want to do on Sunday mornings, which is sleep in. Like I made a deliberate effort, like because it was so obligatory. I'm like, if I have a choice in it my choice is not to do it. Was, was it sort of like that of more of just kind of like getting out of an obligation or, or was there for you kind of like a, oof, the church was a place where like, I didn't feel safe or I didn't feel welcome kind of a situation. No, I think most kids, especially in like their first, in their undergrad years or their first few years away from home, mm-hmm. wanted to do almost the opposite of what was ingrained in them growing <laughs> up in a sense. Yeah. Um, because I did go out of state. I went to UConn. I um, had to stay on campus for the first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sun- Sundays for me were really like just luxurious days where I didn't have anything to do. So I intentionally, as you said, I stayed in, I slept in, even if I... Um, went to bed seven o'clock the previous night, which never happened, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was almost that in, it was that intentional thing of me kind of wanting to um, kind of shirk what I had been doing for 18 years, basically mm-hmm. going to church and being in church from eight o'clock in the morning to like four o'clock, five o'clock in the evening. Um, and 
I think that, that that intention ended up becoming habit. Because when I moved to New York, um, there was it wasn't in my purview to like, hey, I should find a church. Yep. Or, you know, I should look for something to to, you know, reconfirm my faith or anything. It was moving to the city with the madness of that, working full time and being a student and kind of just finding my way and also become like f- trying to be like this cosmopolitan mm-hmm. um, sex in the city slash will and grace individual. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes, it was very intentional for me to kind of um, abstain away from going to church and also like just doing what I wanted to do in those days. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk to me then uh, to uh, funneling it down a little bit, like um, the work that you're doing now with 13th Ford, which we will we'll get into 13th Ford specifically in a, in a little bit, but just the kind of steps that led you, whether it's steps or something happening to you, just what got you into this idea of, incarceration or prison reform or just this idea of like there is there is there is justice that needs to be done here and not just an acknowledgement of it but also the desire to get involved with it to really work towards it yeah so initial so being um being up front i only got involved with um, 13 forward whenever we were introduced to forefront of the actions they were doing in albany Mm -hmm. but i had heard of their efforts and what they were doing but this isn't my first foray into social justice um but what led to that of me getting involved with social justice was actually um me being just as impacted myself um for years i was in finance and i was living a very um you know metropolitan cosmopolitan life and unfortunately um i got a dui um in long island um and this was i don't live in long island i live in brooklyn now but i go out there frequently i have a lot of friends out there and during the time we used to go out there for the summer and unfortunately um i did um get arrested for i'm driving under the influence and i unfortunately received a year and a half upstate um in new york corrections um um and Serving that year and a half um, kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the uh, the just the the unfairness, the hypocrisy, um, the violence, and the corruption of you know the New York corrections and the injustices they do daily. Um, and when I came home, the attitude was, "Yes, I'm home, but I still have to relive the traumas of what I went through." And I'm not alone. There are hundreds of thousands of people who have been incarcerated um, in New York State and are dealing with those um, traumas as well. And what I intentionally was focusing on more specifically was the re-entry for individuals who were coming home mm-hmm. and helping them provide resources and develop skills and life um, life skills and hard skills and soft skills and so that they can reintegrate back into society Um in a positive note with their foot forward confidently instead of you know putting themselves back in these critical situations that unfortunately would re um that would um heighten the recidivism rate mm-hmm. uh and that was something i've been doing on the side i did get back into my career as finance i'm an accountant mm-hmm. um and uh but this is something that i'm really feel passionate about because uh when you think about it so many people live their lives without really thinking about what other people are going through because mm-hmm. they're consumed with what they're doing. And so if you take the time to actually show empathy for others, it opens a whole new world to you and also makes you realize that there's so much in this world that needs to be done by other people um, who can give hands and help. Mm-hmm. And you you hit upon sort of the this big um, 
existential joke basically this idea that you know all prisons kind of co- like considered like the department of correction but there really isn't a focus on correction so much as as a as a focus on punishment right. uh, on, a, on a, a focus on because you've done this thing these things are going to be taken away from you and i'm curious as to even when you were out when you came back um was there still a stigma associated with that in the sense of like well sean now now these are two different sean's this was sean before and now there are people looking at you differently in the sense of like yes well but now but now you're a, a criminal person sean absolutely and that's so that that that's such a layered situation in itself and there's so many nuances to that um going back to what you said originally about the um like the the, the joke in the sense of like the corrections you know um it's called the Department of Corrections, and they always talk about like rehabilitation, which is a huge word in their um, lexicon is rehabilitation. But there is no rehabilitation. They aren't providing programs or anything like that that is that really help people to really rehabilitate or to help them, you know, reform themselves. It's really just the punitive um, aspect of it. Of like you said, we're taking this from you, or you're doing this amount of time. When you come home, this is the things that you can't do, um, even though you've served your time or you're on parole and this is what's going to restrict you and so many things and um personalizing it you know now that i am a convicted felon unfortunately there are the stigmas and there were a lot of relationships that i lost because of people not being able to separate me from the crime mm-hmm. or the fact that i am a felon now um and in in retrospect i'm fine with that because <laughs> It, 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 because ultimately, I feel if somebody isn't able to see me for me and not the mistakes that I've made, then honestly, they don't deserve the space or time in my life. Mm-hmm. But that's not a marker for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people come home with the stigma and it really locks them down. They go for jobs after job after job. Um, they can't really participate in the same things they did anymore. Or as soon as the word felon is mentioned or they're associated with that, then it shuts all doors. Mm -hmm. Um, I had the privilege to have an extremely great um, resource, resourceful um, career, and I never burned bridges. So when I did come home, um, I was able to get back into my field with little to no issue other than me having to basically let people know up front that this is where I was for a year and a half. And unfortunately it was a mistake that I do regret, but uh, I have learned from it. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's receptive to that when you say that in an interview, um, as I've done many interviews myself with people as an employer and as an employee mm-hmm. um, saying to people, uh, unfortunately I did make a mistake in the past and I have to move forward by you know, rehabilitating myself with having a secure job and these types of things and using that language. But as soon as somebody hears the word criminal or background with the felon, then it just immediately shuts that door for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we like to be told um, or taught even as we're kids, like, well, forgive and forget. And there's like half of that, maybe we get the forgiveness part, but the forgetful part is like, mm-hmm, we're not going to do that part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm wondering, too, even if you saw a difference between kind of, if you want to call it secular society and um a community of of church or believers, how was there a difference in how they responded afterwards? Because once again, 
you know, the Bible says that, you know, Jesus tells us, like, forgive 70 times, seven times. And yet a lot of times it's sort of like, well, I'll, I'll forgive you, but there's an asterisk because that asterisk is under certain conditions or only if you've done X, Y, or Z. But if you've done ABC, oh, we're hanging out on that for a long time. Was, was, there, was there a difference in kind of these two spheres of influence or was it kind of eerily in step as, as it just how you were kind of perceived and, and taken in afterwards? No, the latter, actually. Okay. Um, which is, when you say it like that, it makes me really think harder about the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, it was really just the, I can't even explain how that really became just that the, the consensus attitude in the sense of like, just all of that together and let's just push that image towards and like hopefully people take on that basically and collectively like oh this is how he is or this is what's happened Mm -hmm. Um, let's be opinionated about it and kind of like remove ourselves from his sphere in this sense um but i will say that's a correlation to kind of like what we what we were talking about earlier which is the movement of 13 forward with like Slavery is not punishable. I mean, slavery is abolished except through punishable by (laughs) a And so absolute madness that, you know, that little caveat right there is is so huge um, and so underlooked. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to people who say, we want to give people chances. We want people to come home and not have to worry about job security or worry about fair housing but yet whenever applications are done we have to be honest and those application processes really weed out all the undesirables basically Mm -hmm. so like okay we want to give him a home but like because he's a felon we don't know if he necessarily has the best financial situation um we don't know if he has a secure job or we don't know if he's still in any type of nefarious activities so we don't really want to approve him for an apartment here Mm -hmm. we want to take him we want to show that we're equal employ opportunity employers but like because this we he's we have a cash register. We don't really want to, you know, open that that lane of possible of him, a person stealing or something. So there's always a caveat to something that that ruins it. it. It's it's always it's always the but like well we'd like to hire him but or like yeah he he was a a good guy but and and I think like you know forgiveness is such a a radical concept at least the forgiveness that i I mean we are certainly taught about here in forefront that that jesus has preached because people kind of think of it as like you know it's it's a it's a simple matter like i either can forgive someone or i can't forgive someone and it's kind of a black and white but it's such a complicated thing and how radical it is and just as like no if you forgive someone like forgiveness is like their identity is no longer about that thing. Mm. Once the disciples were like, hey, we're going to follow Jesus. It's like, well, you're not a tax collector anymore. You're not a fisherman anymore. Like you are now a disciple of Christ kind of a thing. And, and yet when people was like, yeah, but, but, and it's, but, and like, how many times did Jesus say, but in the Bible, I'd be, I'd be curious to see, like, go, go through and see, like, uh, if you highlight it, I I can't imagine there's going to be many times, at least when it came to the people who came to him in need of something, as opposed to those that came from like, I'm going to outsmart this guy. I bet you. Um, but that let's get into then I'm 13th forward. Um, how did you end up getting involved with them? And also just kind of, if you could lay out kind of their, their mission. Cause I think when it comes to the prison system, a lot of people are just kind of, you know, once someone goes to jail, that's sort of it. We're not thinking about it anymore. We're not thinking about the implications 
And even I hate to say this, but some people are like, what is the 13th Amendment? What does that even what does that even say? Yeah. So basically, the um, to speak on it's hilarious to me in the context of. And this is no way um, this is in no way diminishing the cause, but to have a conversation in 2023 about slavery to me is absolute madness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really sometimes bothers me that we even have to have these discussions Mm -hmm. because of, you know, certain injustices are still happening. But to go back to what you originally asked, the 13th Amendment. So basically the 13th Amendment is a, um, the, to the United Constitution is like, says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, um, where the person's been convicted shall exist within the United States or any other place in, or any place subject to the jurisdiction, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that we don't lo- we no longer practice slavery, but if you go to jail, that basically gives us license to basically use you. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what 13th Forward is combating or basically trying to abolish. So the mission of 13th Forward is to dismantle the prison industrial system um, by enshrining like the abolition of all forms of slavery, um, to extend the labor protections to all people who are in prison, um, no matter what their education is, um, to make sure that all the program the programs that are involved in the prison system really give pathway to true employment post release, um, and to basically create a means for like legal redress based uh, for incarcerated workers' rights whenever they're violated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are the things that really are the focal points of what 13th Forward is doing. So how I got involved with it was, as I said earlier, um, through Forefront, uh, they basically made the announcement saying that they were going to be participating in um, Advocacy Day uh, by going up to Albany Mm -hmm. and petitioning with other people who were involved with 13 Forward, like the Legals, um, Aid Society, Color of Change, Citizen Actions of New York. These are other nonprofits that are for um, social justice um, reform and um, in step with abolishing the 13th Amendment in that context. Uh, And at first I was like, wait a minute, this is a thing? (laughs) I had no idea that that was a caveat on the 13th Amendment. And as somebody who personally experienced what we're fighting, being a worker in these industries um, within the prison system, working for cents on the pennies on the dollar, um, obviously it felt wrong, but I didn't know it was legally wrong. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about it, when you're doing something in a department of corrections or a department of a state, you think that they're following everything to a T and that everything's morally right. But that's not the case. Let's not, let's not, you know, paint roses here. <laughs> uh, but I didn't know that there was legal backing to it. And I didn't know that um, it was something that they were using as a backdoor entrance. Mm. And uh, when I decided to and getting myself involved, I obviously educated myself because I wanted to be as knowledgeable as possible because the purpose of us going up for Advocacy Day um, on the 8th of February 
was to petition to the Congress, uh, excuse me, to the assemblymen and women and the senators of why these bills need to be passed to abolish this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really, um, I feel like forefront represented, <laughs> there were a lot of us that went that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really got involved and really, you know, raised our voices. And people look at at New York, um, especially if you're outside of the state, as sort of like it is it is sort of this bastion, this this of liberalism, this blue state. And you know, New York and California, are like you know, these these are the experimenting grounds for all these progressive policies and and, and thought and schools of thought and, and politicians and that kind of thing. But even can you speak to even even in New York, which is one would think at first forward thinking, progressive, liberal. What are the sort of hangups, even in this state, which are preventing things like this from happening? Because you'd think it would, you know, at first blush is like, well, it would probably be easier to get rid of this, to abolish this stuff in this blue state, except there is still a lot of resistance and a lot of pushback. And where, where do those hurdles come from? So that is kind of part of what I was saying about it being laughable. <laughs> New York, of all of the states. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have states like Alabama, Tennessee, you know, um, these deep Southern states that are entrenched in, you know, the red, if you will. Mm-hmm. And they've become progressive in the sense to pass bills to abolish these things in their states. How is New York, who is considered one of the most liberal and progressive states behind on this? <laughs> um, and it's absolute, it's absolute, like, insanity when you think about it but when you actually look at the facts of why it is why it is it makes absolute sense in the sense of profit Mm. so um hence the fact of these industries that are being um that have contracts with the state of new york like corecraft which is the main one and the dmv um which people will be like the dmv what does that have to do with prisons um but the amount of production that they get in the contracts the quotas that are meeting labor mm-hmm. uh nobody's really in a rush to you know really dismantle these operations that are bringing in millions and millions and giving credit tax credits and giving all of these different um would you uh all of these different incentives and programs and jobs basically uh i'm not a uh revolutionary uh, or a revolutionist but i'm a thousand percent positive that um most there were a lot of jobs in the Department of Correction that are unnecessary. <laughs> but because of all of these different things that were going on, they create these positions to justify the salaries and justify these um, these modes of operations. And so also a, lo- a political game. There are a lot of people that are in the State Department of Corrections on um, in um Front in front of department, excuse me, in front of the Department of Corrections, such as administration, um, and also in the actual prisons, whether they're wardens and everything, they're um, deeply hand in hand with a lot of the polit- the politicians around the state. Uh, so, and then also just another thing is, I feel not enough people speaking out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of not a lot of people knowing, um, I did something at my job which was very bold of me because I work at Barry, you know, um, I am an accountant. I will have an office job and my office is quite conservative in a sense, (laughs) like certain things. So I went around asking people if they knew about the 13th amendment 
Um, and of course, everybody was like, yeah, I know it's abolishing slavery. But surprisingly, not many people knew about the caveat about the punishable by crime. Mm -hmm. And they were like, wait a minute, people are getting paid how much? <laughs> they were actually in shock. And these are some people who I'm a thousand percent positive voted for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those things that really makes you like raise your eyebrow. Like, how how is this possible? Mm -hmm. I remember several moments when I was talking in several of the offices of the people that we, of the congressmen and women that we visited and senators that we visited, that I spoke very candidly in saying right is right, wrong is wrong. Yeah. This absolutely makes no sense that people are performing 40 hour jobs, sometimes over a week, um, doing very dangerous things um, and not being compensated fairly. So are we not valuing them because of the mistakes that they made? Or are we not value, valuing them because we're making a profit off of them mm -hmm. and nobody's speaking up for them? I want to return to this idea that I, I talked about earlier, this idea of a a, a non-religious response and a religious response. So you mentioned capital um, as a motivator for this. You mentioned even, you know, law and order as a, as a, a, a could be a motivation of like, here's why this thing happens. But when it comes to a biblical quote unquote justification have you encountered resistance or pushback from even people who are who consider themselves christians because like well this is right because of this or um or or even sort of a a a response from a a, a less progressive church or church member or just school of thought which is like here's why what is happening is fine here's why god would be okay with what is going on absolutely um because you know, living in New York, even living in New York City forefront is a pretty progressive church. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a very common thing for people to see um, leadership, queer leadership in churches. Um, and so when I do speak with other people in other faiths and other the backgrounds or even other Christians who are in different settings um, of, um, for, for their faith, there is kind of a pushback in the sense of, well, a crime is a crime. And unfortunately you give up that privilege whenever you decide to violate the law. Mm -hmm. So I've heard this many times. And at first I would try to combat it, but sometimes it's one of those things that you just have to allow people to think until there actually is a major change mm -hmm. or there actually is, you know, we can, put something like print to what we need to say to what to, to them. And I feel like there are even people in progressive spaces that still feel like it might, like this is a situation that really doesn't deserve that much attention because um, it's almost like you're wiping the tears from a murderer or you're, you know, giving license to these people in the sense of saying, well, they did the crime, then they should be able to do the time. Mm-hmm everything that entails with that, which isn't a fair thing to say, but a lot of times people don't put themselves in other people's shoes or show empathy. Mm -hmm. So they're only just, they're only just reacting on like the, the societal um, conversations or societal norms. Mm -hmm. um, one more pe person specifically who doesn't agree with my efforts or what 13 forward is moving, is moving with is my father. Hmm. which my dad is a Christian man. He's very heavily involved in our church that I've hmm. been going to since I was born and he's been going to for over 35 years. And 
when I first mentioned to him that I was going to participate in the rally, his first comment was, I hope your coworkers don't see. Uh. And is it like, oh, that's a that's a, a a worthy thing to be a part of, or this is absolutely ridiculous. Yes, this needs to be discussed. Um, my dad was more concerned about my um, my colleagues knowing that I was speaking out about this. Mm -hmm. Then diving further into that, I asked him, um, "Do you do you agree with what, with what I'm doing?" And he said, um, "I don't really feel like that's something that you should involve yourself with because people make decisions." And it was strange for me, considering that your own son is a felon, and <laughs> you, unfortunately, that stereotype has been fulfilled. Um, and so because I went to jail, you know who I am, you know mm -hmm. what my worth is, and you know what type of individual I am. Do you think that I should have gotten, like, when I got paid 15, 20 cents to do a job that was a full job, that that was deserved and rightful? And he had no words. But it didn't change the attitude in the situation. And then I, I can't imagine what what is not helping you guys is, I mean, I'm I'm not the most active news viewer in the world, but I try to stay informed of, of what's going on, especially locally. Um, and so what, you know, a, a hot uh, topic these days is just is, is bail reform. And this idea that what we keep hearing about is like, it's not working. The mayor wants it to change. People want bail reform to change. It's clearly not working. There's recidivism. There's criminals that are, that are constantly getting right back on the streets and committing more crimes. And so I, I have to imagine that there's probably public support is, still building for you guys or, or like there there's a lot of a lot of misinformation that you have to fight against but i have to think most certainly um and that is a major um opponent to the the cause you know um mayor adams came in and brought in all this sweeping rhetoric and i don't know other <laughs> absolute madness because he has been absolutely chaotic and upending a lot of things. Mm -hmm. One of those big things is for years, people have been lobbying and they passed certain things to close Rikers Island. Mm -hmm. And an initiative to do that was the bell reform was if we have less people going to jail for petty crimes, then we don't need that Island anymore. We don't need have, there's no justification for it. And unfortunately there was a lot of blowback because you know, there were some issues with people who were taking advantage of the bail reform, but also there were a lot of concerns because um, bail bondsmen weren't getting as many contracts anymore. Um, there were also a lot of jobs that were not were being unjustified that weren't were unjustified now mm -hmm. because less people were going to um, were being incarcerated, um, and then the the um, Alternative to closing Rikers, I mean, the solution for closing Rikers Island was building smaller jails in each borough. Mm -hmm. And people were like, wait a minute. I'm all for closing Rikers Island, but I don't want a jail right down the street from me. Mm -hmm. Not in my backyard. Um, yeah. And that really, really made people nervous. And there was a lot of outcry about that. Um, and this also me not really wanting to watch the news because it's just it really is depressing sometimes. Not happy. Yeah, but there has been an increase in crime in New York City, in the subway systems, random attacks, and there have been things, but people are connecting dots that aren't there. Yeah. And when there is a dot that finally connects, it like really just takes the map. <laughs> like, oh, he was out on bail, 
or he was on parole and this happened and da, 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 and this is a direct result because he was on bail reform. I mean, he was in, he received a, um, he received the benefits of the bail reform. And then that translates to these are criminals and we're coddling them. Now, when they go upstate, they deserve they need to do these things. They need to have these um, these moment, these these unpunishable um, ways and these restrictive um, things. And that's how that translates. And unfortunately, it just becomes it becomes one thread. And, and it, it's because it's a, it's an easier headline it's an easier story and and you know no nobody uh there there's nothing worse than the people who think that their rights are being taken away because other people are being given rights um but despite all this i I mean are are you guys seeing support do you have support from from politicians that are encouraging from other groups that are encouraging are are you seeing that there's momentum building or things that are catching on what 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 is what is sort of what's encouraging you guys at 13 forward so actually, and it's absolutely been a pleasure to see the continued efforts of what 13th Forward has been doing, because when we were there for Advocacy Day, um, I had the privilege to be in the group with our Pastor Josh uh, and uh, Pastor Mac. And when we spoke to some of these um, politicians, they were receptive to what we had to say. Um, and they were really just very available, but also wanted to know the facts. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll I'll take a look at this, but I definitely want to see like what this really means, and can I get behind this because it's actual indecency and injustice. Mm-hmm. So, and I've been closely monitoring um, the efforts because that was the day that I was able to go myself. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I do have a regular job, so I have to kind of pump energy and intention, which is absolutely necessary because the, the things that you want that are right sometimes aren't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have gotten a lot of people who have started to spon- co-sponsor the bill. Um, I've, I know Assembly Member um, Shrestha has been involved, um, and the other people. Um, I think Assembly Member Jonathan Rivera has put given his support. So many people are coming over, and I think this is because they are looking at the facts, they're looking at what's going on, and they're seeing that yeah, there's something that needs to be um, overturned or amended. Mm-hmm. And there has been support um, when we did add add. Advocacy Day, excuse me. <laughs> um, I saw a lot of support on social media um, that people were just in disbelief that this thing, what this was a thing, that this um, was a topic and it was something that was being introduced in the legislation. And they were like, yes, absolutely, this needs to be done. Um, and a lot of people were garnering for, um, a lot of people were looking for information on how to get involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a very inspiring to me because when sometimes you just need the platform. For people to see something and to be like, wait a minute, that is in alignment with what I want or how I feel. Let me get behind this or let me see whatever I can do to lend support. Mm-hmm. So there has been an increase in in in, um, in uh, notoriety for what's going on and also in support. Well, and uh, and what's what is also amazing about about y'all is also, I mean, they're they're actionable items too. It's not just like we need to end this thing. We also need to replace it with this. We need to change that. We need to change that. And 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 so like people hear bail reform, or prison reform. It's like, ugh, 
It says, this is, this is too complicated. It's like, well, no, it's not because here are things that can be done. Here are things. I mean, I, I spoke on this podcast before with Alex Vitale, who he wrote the book, The End of Policing. And it's not just let's get rid of the police. It's let's do this, 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 like there there's information out there and and y'all are, are, are putting out there. If people just want, just want to know. Right. So it never works to just talk about the problem. Yeah. It, it, and, 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 that's how I live my life in a sense. And that's how I do as a manager, as a supervisor. Um, I have a team of 17 people that report to me. Mm-hmm. And whenever we come against something, my, I always let them know, don't bring the problem to me unless you have the solution or you're working towards a goal. Yeah. Because we can talk about it. We can talk about why this is happening or why this account is doing so and going in red or blah, blah, blah. But unless you have some solutions for me or you have some um, already some things that we can move forward to mend the situation, let's not discuss this until we get to there. Yeah. Um, with 13th forward, it's not like, oh, slavery's bad. All right. Good night, y'all. Everybody have a good night. <laughs> it's slavery is unacceptable. This is why it's unacceptable. And this is what we plan to do. All right. Because you guys are giving these jobs to people under that specific banner of, of, of 13th amendment, then let's get some equal rights in there. Let's give them fair wages. Let's do this. You know, let's provide them resources and tools so that when, when they come home, um, even though they worked for these industries, they have transferable skills. They have these roles that can be transitioned into um, life outside of incarceration. So that way the recidivism rate doesn't increase because people are coming home with outdated skills yeah. or outdated um, or, or a resume that basically says, Hey, I was a janitor. I'm mop floors, but I didn't have any certificate cert- um, legitimate certificate certifications for it. Or, Hey, I may license plate in Auburn, New York um, for the prison. But unfortunately that's not even a man job anymore. That's mostly um, automated mm-hmm. and, that's how that's going to go. So I don't know what else I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So for putting something in place to kind of putting something in the place of what we just took out is absolutely the, what the intention of 13 forward is. And it's one of those things that I get, I, I'm so proud to be a part of because who doesn't want to help to make a better tomorrow and who does that help increase the quality of life of other people? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who really do, who don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's definitely, no one ever, no one ever, I think, really hurt from doing something like this. Yeah. But, but if you are one of those people who says like, yes, this is what you want for people, here are things to help people. Um and so with with an eye on, on kind of wrapping you up and, and letting you, you get off and enjoy your evening, if people want to know more about 13th Forward, about their mission, and how to get involved, what, what can people do? Where can people go for that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you can do is clearly you can go to 13thforward.com um, and get involved by just looking at what's on the website. I do believe that there everything is on there from the mission from the legislation that we want to introduce to basically who 13th Forward is, 
how you can lend your support, the research, the numbers, all of the different things that really are um, under the umbrella. Um, and then also the people that are involved with 13 Forward that are more local and that are more involved in the day-to-day -day processes of it, like Legal Aid Society, New York Civity, Civil Liberties Union, um, The Color of Change, Citizen Action of New York. Um, and if you're a forefronter, obviously you can go to the, um, my uh, church center and uh, see if there's anything that's upcoming for that um, or anything, any links for that. One of the things that I do encourage people, uh, um, encourage people to do, though, is to really just educate themselves by doing these things, because anybody can be like, oh, I want to be a part of that. But like when you have the chance to sit in front of a senator or you have the chance to sit in front of somebody who actually can create that change, what are you saying that can be impactful? And that was something that I really saw that stepped up in when we were in those rooms. We had the intention, we were focused, we knew what we were talking about. Um, and we spoke with the passion of why these things need to be changed and what can happen if we change them. Uh, keeping it short, it's, it's as simple as you wanting to be a part of something that's on the right side of history. Um, now, whether where that needle is for you is when you really need to look at your own morale or your own um, opinions on things. But when you want to do something that really inspires and creates that change that's really, really needed in the world today, this is a great place to start. Because 13 Forward is not one of those organizations that like, oh, we just want to amass all these individuals so we can get funding and grants. We're actually in the trenches We're actually talking about things that are not easy to talk about. We're confronting these old, old, old ancient things that need to be upended. And we're going up against a lot of resistance, but we're moving forward. And I love that why that that's in the name 13 forward, because we're moving forward. Like this is we're not trying to stay in the past. We're not trying to keep those same attitudes that people had years ago to think that slavery is acceptable in different energies and different lights. No, unacceptable. That's why I love Forefront, because it's, we're always in the forefront of things. We're always trying to be ahead. We're always trying to move forward, be progressive, because ultimately nothing stays the same. Well, Sean, thank you for talking to me this evening. Thanks for, you know, telling me your story. Um, I, I just, I appreciate you taking the time today. I appreciate your work. And I mean, certainly I think everyone can agree, like we're all sending our, our, our thoughts and prayers to you and the folks at, at 13.4 to just kind of bring about more, more empathy and, 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 and equity in this world.